You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, church. Hope you are we're ready for that video, a little dancing from the beginning. It's the most dancing you'll ever see in a Baptist church, okay? Uh, but but we are uh, excited that you're here. I personally am excited it quit raining because it gets pretty loud in here during a sermon when it rains. Uh, but I'm, I'm so excited to, to, to preach this message this morning. And I know many of you all, school starting back like next week for Maryville City Schools, and then Alcoa starts back tomorrow, which is just blows me away. Uh, I'm, I'm from Knox, yeah, okay, some parents are clapping. All right, I see that, I see that. The third service always gets a little crazy, so it's, it's, it's all good. Uh, but uh, I, it just always blows me away that, that schools start back so early here. In Knox County, we started back like the middle of August when I was in school. Uh, but it's gonna, it's a it's crazy season. Many of y'all are trying to fit in a, one last little weekend vacation or, or trip. And, and I just want to be just honest from you, with you from the beginning of our message today. This has been kind of a hard season for, for a lot of people in our church. And it's been a hard season for me personally as well. Uh, we've, I've had, you know, our community of friends and community here on staff is, you know, we've had some, some people pass away. We've had some people uh, get some, some really bad news. Uh, we've had just a lot of things go down, even in my own life. I feel like we've just been, I've been in like a season of waiting for a long time. We've been waiting on a house uh, for, it seems like forever. And then we found out some news that uh, God had blessed us with a baby and uh, it uh, passed away uh, seven weeks into term. And so very difficult season for, for, uh, for many of you all and, and even for my family. Uh, but I want you to know today, as I get up here and talk to you all, and as I get up here and preach to you all, that uh, in this season, even though it's been difficult, it's been good. Because God has been teaching so many people in our church, and even me personally, so much about him. And the thing that I keep going back to, that, that God has taught me more than anything, is that the joy of knowing Jesus is so much better than anything this world can offer. Amen? And so I've learned that experientially, and it's been such a, a hard season, but it's been a good season. And, and here's what I believe, okay? I believe this with all of my heart. We are about to go into a season of growth in our church. We're about to go into a season where people start coming back to church. Their schedules have been crazy all summer, so school starts back. People get into a routine, and then they show up here on, 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 to church. And, and so this is always an exciting season for our church. And so when I get up here and I talk to you all today, I'm not just going to talk. I'm going to preach because I believe and I can declare that, that we as the church are made to be the people who take the message of that joy, who take the message of Jesus and his love and everything to be found in him to the people who have not yet experienced the joy that we know. And that's who we're going to be as a church this August. And that's why we're in this series called Count on Me our Count on Me series, because we as a church, we're asking this question, who can we count on? Who can we count on? And we've said this, a partner at FC is someone that we can count on, someone we can count on to be there for the people in our community who don't know Jesus yet, someone we can count on to protect and, and promote the vision of our church, which is developing mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. Someone we can count on. And so we've been talking each week about uh, a little bit about what it means to be a partner here at FC. We, we, we don't have members here at FC. We have partners because we partner together for the mission of God. And so today I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject of what does a partner do? What does a partner do? 
And so if you don't know me, my name is Landon. I'm the student pastor here. And I've been here for uh, a little over three years. And uh, this August, we start back August 2nd, students and student ministry. Uh, but in August 2nd, I will be beginning my fourth year of full-time ministry uh, in student ministry. And so I'm, I'm really excited about it. Me and my wife, we, we love serving the students here. We love serving you all who are adults in this room, but we especially love serving our students. And we're so excited about this year. And so me and her have been married for, like I said, be three years in December. Um, and early on, like really early on in their marriage, everybody asked me, what did you learn most in your first year of marriage? Everybody asked me that question. And I had the same answer every time somebody asked me that. I said, you know what I learned? I learned that I'm a, I'm a selfish jerk. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's just real. I mean, there is, you learn how selfish you are in marriage. See, you may not know this about me, uh, but when I was born, I was actually diagnosed with an illness. And you may have heard of OCD. I have OCS, only child syndrome, okay? And, uh, and so growing up, I was, I was the only child, okay? For, for the most part of my life, I was the only child. And so, you know, being an only child, if you had that amazing experience that you've had, uh, you, you didn't have to share. Like you didn't have to like, like you didn't have like a sibling trying to like bite you in the jugular when you took a toy from them, okay? You just didn't have that experience. And so, you know, being an only child can sometimes lead to selfishness, okay? And so if there's any single people in the room, let me just talk to the single guys for a moment, okay? There is nothing that will show you your sinfulness and your selfishness more than moving in with a woman. Okay, when you get married to a woman, you learn how selfish you are because you want to do things your way. She has her way, and, and you learn in marriage that her way is probably the better way. Okay, but but you still like your way because that's what you all have always done. And so you learn those things. You learn how selfish you are. And I shared this story in our student ministry once. Uh, but probably one of the most selfish moments in in my marriage so far was the day I went to buy Leanna a new laptop computer. And so she was starting her senior year of college and her laptop was just broke. And so she needed a new MacBook. And so we went to the Apple, or I went to the Apple store and I picked her up a new MacBook. So I was really, really excited. She didn't know she was getting it. And so I was going to surprise her with it. And so I go to the Apple store and they say, hey, listen, listen, today, if you buy this laptop, you will get a special deal. I said, okay, I, I, let me, what is it? They said, well, when you buy this laptop, you are going to get a new pair of brand new Beats wireless headphones. And I'm like, this is awesome, okay? Because, I mean, it's not just the, the, the wires you like to like, hang yourself in. I mean, it's going around the ears. You, you can speak to Siri on it. I'm, I'm all in. I'm like, yeah, we got to buy a laptop. Can we buy three? Uh, like, I wanted the Beats wireless headphones. So I go home, and, uh, and I, I'm actually on the phone with Leanna. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, did you get the app store? I was like, yeah, I got this. And then I, got, I actually got you a new laptop. And, and she's like, oh, that's amazing. And I was like, and I also got some Beats headphones. She's like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Great. I'm glad you did that. Uh, and she's like, how much do the Beats cost? It's like, well, well, they're, they're free. I was like, but I'm so excited to use them. But I got you a new laptop, babe. So they were free. What, what, what do you mean they were free? I said, well, they, they, when, when you buy the laptop, they come with the laptop. And she says, oh, so you got me some new Beats headphones. <laughs> uh, and it was like the switch from 23-year-old Landon went to like five-year-old child Landon. I was like, no, 
those headphones are mine, okay? These, I need these, I work out, I like to kickbox and spar, and they're not gonna fall off my ear because they got the cool little ear strap. These are my headphones. And I was so selfish in that moment. And we got into a fight, and it was like 25 minutes in, and I was just like, I'm, I'm just being an idiot, I'm sorry. I'm being so selfish. I'll let you know, those headphones broke two weeks ago. <laughs> That's just how that works, right? In that moment, I was so selfish. Why? Because it was all about me. Every, every bit of, of that whole conversation wasn't thinking about her needs. It was all about me. And see, as humans, we do this a lot. We have a natural tendency to be all about me. We naturally do what makes us comfortable. We naturally do what, what our preference is, what we did when we grew up. We as humans, all have the natural tendency to do what is best for me. Okay, let me, let me, let me prove this to you. So when, if you, if you ever had little kids in the house, okay, so if, if somebody comes up, takes the toy, okay, the kid's not like, you know what, I really was planning on just serving you today. So you take this toy, you play with it, you enjoy it because I want to serve you, okay? That doesn't happen, okay? If you have elementary school kids, elementary school kids, uh, if, if they're playing kickball on the playground, all right, everybody's lined up. You get first pick. Man, who can I pick today that if I pick them first, it's really going to boost their confidence? Who can I serve in that way? Okay? Kids don't do that. They, they pick the, the person who's the best athlete, the person who's going to help them win the game. Natural tendency to be all about me. If you have a student, okay, Maryville, Alcoa are playing on a Friday night, and the yard is getting a little long. Dad, Mom, I want to stay home tonight to serve you. I don't need to go paint up. I don't need to hang out. I just want to serve you and do the dishes and mow the yard, okay? Everybody's laughing because I'm talking about your kids, okay? But, but when you show up to the Chick-fil-A and the line's wrapped around three times and for you to get in line, you got to go to the freezer section in Walmart to get in, okay? Because the line's that backed up and you see the parking spot right there in front of you and there's somebody else and you are now in the battle of the blinkers, okay? Whoever's getting in there first, you're, nobody's like, you know what? I think you just really need that milkshake and that chicken sandwich. Here you go. Take my spot. I'm going to take my spot in the back of the line of the freezer section in the drive-thru, okay? Because it's so backed up. Nobody does that. Why? Because we have a natural tendency to make everything we do about me. That's what we do. But I would say, let me, let me just, I'm going to make a guess here. And I'd say this is true, okay? When you think about the people that you admire most in your life, okay? When you think about the people that you have the most respect for, that you love to be around, I would say that it's not a selfish person. I would say that the person that you love to go to lunch with is not the person who talks about themselves the whole time. It's probably the person who asks questions about your life. Who cares for you? I would say that the person you respect most isn't the person who wants all the fame and all the attention and to, to hoard up everything. I would say that the person that you admire most in your life is probably the least selfish person you know. I'm just, I'm just going to guess that. And so I think about those people. I'm like, man, I, I so often am so selfish, but I want to be like those people. I mean, how do, how do we as Foothills Church, how do we as, as people, how do we as selfish humans get to be like the people who are seemingly so selfless? Well, luckily in the Bible, we read a story 
about a man who was perfectly selfless. His name's Jesus. And this Bible is filled with stories about this man. And really, the whole Bible points back to what Jesus did. And so if you have your Bible, if you don't, that's okay. You can download the app, or you can look at it on screen. I hope you, uh, I hope you would turn there to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in the second half of the Bible. So as you're turning there, I want to fill you in on a little of the background to this. And so... The author of this epistle, the author of this letter is Paul. And Paul is, Paul is someone who formerly, he hated Christians. I mean, he essentially was a terrorist, okay? He essentially was a terrorist. He hated Christians. He actually orchestrated the killings of Christians, okay? He was a staunch, educated Jew, okay? Hated Christians. So he gets saved. God meets him, saves him, changes his life, and now his whole life is about sharing the gospel. It's about going from city to city to city, planting churches, encouraging the leaders. I mean, he's getting beaten in these cities because of his faith. He is getting death threats. I mean, this guy is getting ran out of towns, but he does it because Jesus saved him. And so he, he then is he's encouraging the leaders in the church of Corinth. And so anytime you're reading the Bible, it's important to know who the audience is. And so who is Paul speaking to? So he's speaking to the church at Corinth, which assumes that he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to partners. He's speaking to members of the church at Corinth. He's encouraging them, and he gives them not the example of just himself, but he gives them the example of Jesus the example of serving and sharing the gospel. And so in verse 14, he says this. For the love of Christ controls us. Remember those two words, controls us. Because we have concluded this, okay? Stop right there for a moment. So from the very beginning of this passage, Paul says something extremely profound. The love of Christ controls controls us. So why is he giving his life for the sake of the gospel? Why is he being beaten in the synagogue? Why would he later go to Rome and be in prison where church history believes that he was later beheaded? Why would he do this? Well, because he has concluded this and the love of Christ controls him. The reason Paul does what he does is because the love of Christ controls him. This is not just some emotional thing. This is an intellectual decision he has made He's intellectually concluded this fact, and the fact is this. In the second half of verse 14, it says this. That one Jesus, that's who he's talking about, has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So why does the love of Christ control him to live a life that's not about him? It's not about me. Why does he not want to live for himself anymore? Because he believed that Jesus died on the cross and he believes that that and everything that means was true. He believes the gospel. And let me slow down for a minute because this is too important to miss. What has Paul concluded? What he's saying, the love of Christ controls us, therefore I've concluded this, Okay. The love of Christ. Let, let's break this down. The love of Christ, meaning the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the story of God and what he's done for you. 
is that Jesus died for the sins of all people so that all people might, all people who believe might live. So what's the motivation for Paul to serve Christ? What's the motivation for him to give his life? What's the motivation for him to eventually die? Because he knew just how much Jesus loved him and everyone else. A lot of time in the church, we kind of get guilted into serving. It's like, oh, they, need, have a, they have a need in the nursery. I guess they need somebody to come corral a bunch of sixth graders on Wednesday night. I, I guess they need, uh, they, I, said, I guess I'm a partner now, so I guess I got to serve. I better go to the training. Uh, they have a need. I better do it. We a lot of times get guilted into serving, but that's not Paul's mentality. Paul's mentality is not, man, I have to serve. Paul's mentality is because of what Jesus has done for me, I get to serve. Paul didn't have to serve, he gets to serve. See, your only motivation for loving people should simply be because Jesus loves you. So he goes on in verse 16, he says, from, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. And this is not like a common speak term. Like we don't say this a lot, like regarding no one according to the flesh. Like I've never had somebody come up to me like, man, what are you struggling with right now? Dude, I'm really just struggling with uh, regarding people according to the flesh. Okay, like you just don't hear that. And so I, I wanna make sure we break it down for a moment. What Paul's saying here, he's saying that a lot of times we as people, we like to value people and put labels on people and put their worth and their barcodes on them based upon their worldly value what the world thinks of them. So for example, there's, there's a couple of pastors who have really inspired me in my ministry. It's a guy named Carl Lentz and there's another guy named Judah Smith. And uh, these guys, one of them's a pastor in, in Manhattan and another's a pastor in Seattle and Beverly Hills. And, uh, and so because they're in a major city like that, uh, they have an incredible opportunity to minister to celebrities. And so if you look on their social medias and stuff, you'll see them taking pictures like Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, uh, you'll see them with Lil Wayne, Jay-Z, and even Justin Bieber. Like Justin Bieber calls this guy his pastor. And uh, Carl Lentz said he baptized Justin Bieber. And so, but no matter what you think about them, okay, no matter what you, no matter if you like their music, uh, no matter what you think about their faith, no matter what you think about anything about them, no matter if you, you really don't like one of them because one of them decided to leave, Gold, or to leave Russell Westbrook to drive and go to Golden State to be on a super team, Kevin Durant, uh, no matter what you think about those people, okay, you can, we can all agree that that's a pretty cool opportunity as a pastor, okay? That's, that's a cool opportunity because you get to influence celebrities, okay? But what Paul is saying here is we often want to minister to the cool people. You know, we often want to minister to the pretty people. But he's saying in the economy of the kingdom, in the economy of the kingdom, it should be the exact opposite. In the economy of the kingdom, guys, we don't regard people according to their worldly wealth, their fleshly wealth, because in the economy of the kingdom, the poor, the lame, the mentally handicapped, the illegal immigrant, the Syrian refugee, the unborn are worthy of the same love and care of Jesus just as much as Justin Bieber. So instead of serving those that it's cool to serve, serve everyone because Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for all people. We regard 
no one according to their worldly worth, but only to their worth, the kingdom. So in verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Let me pause right there before I hit verse 20. Remember those words, the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. We're going to talk about those again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We all were once sinful. We all were once separated from God. All people, the celebrities, the refugees, are all on the same playing field before God. We were stuck in our sin, but we give our lives to Christ. Celebrity, refugee, drug addict, divorcees can all be made a new creation. And it doesn't matter if you were high last night, if you cheated on your spouse this week, or if you absolutely hate God because of a circumstance in your life. If you give your life to Jesus, he will make you a new creation. And he will give you a ministry, which is what the Bible calls the ministry of reconciliation. So in verse 21, I'm going to read this verse out of the NIV. I just love the way it's phrased. Um, And so it says this in verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I think this is the most important part of the message. Okay, This is the most important part of understanding what I'm trying to convey to you. And so I wanted to illustrate it. So it says, God made him who knew no sin, okay? So when you think about Jesus, okay? We'll say this box right here is Jesus, all right? So we have Jesus, and you think about some of the titles of Jesus, okay? And many of y'all have heard about the attributes of God, the names of God. Uh, But when you think about kind of the labels that Jesus might have, okay? There's a lot of great labels because it, it says God made him who knew no sin. So the first thing I would say is God is holy, okay? He is Void of moral deficiency, moral evil, he is holy. Second thing is very similar to it. He is righteous. He is good in everything he does. He is 100% wise. He's completely wise. He is beautiful. When you look at the, the most beautiful sunset, when you look at the Grand Canyon, when you look at, into an infant's eyes, God is still more beautiful. God is the most beautiful thing in the world. He is 100% secure. Jesus is 100% secure. He doesn't have to have insecurities like we do. He is good. So everything he does is good. He is perfect. We'll lay that one right there. He is perfect, meaning he's never done anything wrong. He is gracious, meaning that When we were sinners, his grace ran us down. He is 100% gracious. He is loving. We'll put that label there. He is royal, the prince of peace, the Lord of lords. Every king, every ruler, every president, every nation will bow down to Jesus. That's his labels. That's who he is. So God made him who had no sin. There's no sin in Jesus. But when you look at your life, you think about who you are. And and I'll just use the illustration as me, okay? When you think about me, when you think about you, and you think about some of the labels that maybe you have, it looks a lot different than righteous, wise, perfect, royal, beautiful, gracious, holy, 
and all the other boxes that we could cover for days about Jesus. So maybe you think about your life, you think of the word dirty because of your sin. So another, this is right off the bat, you think sinful. So we've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You think through some of the things that you have, we all have our insecurities to some extent. You're like, man, if you'd known the things that I've done before I came to know Christ, you'd think of me as terrible. I'm a terrible person. Some of us, we have a lot of troubles in our life. Maybe because of some things that we did in our past. Maybe just because of some circumstances. We're troubled. Some of us are addicted. To some point, we're all addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to our phones. Some of us are addicted to a substance. Some of us are addicted to a pill or alcohol. Some of us just really struggle with anger issues. So we'll throw angry there. That's a label you might wear. Some of you feel like you just hurting. Some of you feel like your life is so messed up, jacked up, screwed up because of the things you've done. And then some of you just feel like, man, I'm so sinful, you could just call me a low life. So you think about all those things and you look at me and it can be kind of discouraging. And a lot of times, you know, here's what happens. Jesus comes and he, he lives a life completely perfect, completely gracious, completely holy, completely righteous, royal, everything that you could ever imagine. If you could find a better Savior, let me know. But, but Jesus, he comes in, lives this perfect life. He dies on the cross, forgiving us of our sins. And if we believe in him, we can be forgiven of all the things that we've done. And a lot of times we stop right there. We think, yeah, man, sinner saved by grace. We stop, but we forget the best part about this passage because here's what happens. God made me, okay? I sinned, Jesus didn't. So the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, okay? And we get that because God forgives us of our past. He forgives us of our present, forgives us of our future. We're like, yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but we forget the best part of the passage was that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, me, you might become the righteousness of God. See, at the cross, he gets our sinfulness and we get his righteousness. That's the glory of the gospel. And here's the thing, when you realize this, when you see this, when you know this, you cannot help but want others to know the same because this is amazing. This is incredible. See, this should be what motivates us. If you truly understand this, then FC, you cannot help but want others to know the same because when you realize that God switched places with me, that Jesus died for me, that the nails were for me, that the beating was for me, that he was pierced for me, that the grave was for me, then church cannot be all about me. Church must be, church has got to be, church needs to be all about others being set free. So my bottom line today is this. I will not let the church be about me. I want that to be our heart's declaration as we go into this exciting season here at FC, that I will not let our church, this church, my church, the church be about me. 
So the question then for us then is, I, w- I don't want to just give you some, some theoretical truth and just send you on your way. I want to really help you practically figure out how to do this, okay? I'm a practical guy. I, I like articles and things that are really, really practical, okay? So I want to give you some, pr- some practical ways that we cannot let the church be about me. So, and it'll come straight from our text today. So the first thing is this. I want us all, partners, non-partners alike, I want us all to begin to think all not us, okay? Begin to think all, not just us. So Paul says this in verse 14. He said, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for who? All right, that was, that's pretty good, all. Therefore, all have died and he died for who? All. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here's what I know. Our natural inclination is to place people in our life who look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, and believe like us. That's our natural inclination. And as a pastor, it it is a lot of times hard for me to put myself around people who are different than me, who, who may be lost. Because I'm a pastor, I work with church people all the time, okay? All the time. And so I'm very, very comfortable in that too because they look like me, talk like me, think like me, act like me, believe like me. But Jesus did not just die for the people who look like you. Jesus did not just die for the pretty people. Jesus died for all. But we often think, oh, us, me and my crew, me and my church. So I want us to begin to intentionally place all types of people in our life, not just those who look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, and believe like us. Partners, may we begin to serve people who look completely different. That may be inviting someone new to your small group this year, who may be introverted, may not be like your group of friends, who may be of a different race than you, invite somebody different than you. That may mean having coffee with the Muslim at your work. That may mean taking the atheist to lunch one day. That may mean going somewhere and having coffee with the homosexual. Not so when the waiter comes, like, hey, would you like water? And you're like, hey, would you like the water of life? And you're like trying to give them a canned gospel presentation. No, no, no. You go simply because you want them to know how much Jesus loves them. And you, buying coffee or buying a meal, may be the thing that shows them how much Jesus loves them. And maybe one day you'll have the opportunity to share the hope that you have. You see, the only, only reason that you should love people is because Jesus loves you. So Foothills Church should be a place where you don't have to look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, and believe like us to belong like us. I will not let this church be about me. Number two is don't just attend, appeal. As a partner, it's not enough to just attend on a Sunday morning. It's not enough to just come sit, listen, worship, and leave. 
So Paul says this in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. These are strong words. He's saying that God makes his appeal to unbelievers through you and I. That's a weighty command. God makes his appeal through us. That's a big job. And so when we, we, our lives should be about appealing, imploring, challenging, inviting others. So a couple of practical ways you can do this is, is first off, invite other people to church, okay? Some of you, you, you've been doing that forever. Some of you, that would be a huge step of faith for you. And I pray that you do that, okay? Inviting people to church. Another way is inviting others to your small group. You see, some people will come to know Christ around a table a lot quicker than they would sitting in a chair on Sunday morning because they were created for community. And when you show them what gospel-centered community looks like, it might change their life. Another way is public baptism. I wanna be very, very sensitive to this because I know especially in our region that it can be very common to have a baptism that would be with just a couple family members at a pool or at a lake or in a creek. And and I wanna be sensitive to that, but I do want you to know that in the Bible, we see that people are baptized into local church bodies. And here's why this is important. Because when we're publicly baptized at our local church, we show the world that the old man is gone and the new has come. And there may be someone here who's on the edge of their seat making that decision, might be about to make that decision to follow Christ, and they need to hear your story in the waters of baptism before they do. And you may be the thing and the story that they need to hear so that they will respond to Christ. And so if you've never been publicly baptized, don't just attend. Use that as a way to appeal to unbelievers. Another way is being on a hospitality team. Before any word is ever preached by me or Pastor Trent or any of our other pastors, before any notes ever played, they can know that God loves them because they met you in the parking lot. Another way is engagement in the sermon. I'm not saying that just because I'm preaching today. Uh, but, but when you come and you, you, you engage, not just in the sermon, but in the worship, And our world's great at celebrating things. They celebrate birthday parties. They celebrate graduations, weddings, football games, wins. Our world's great at celebrating things. And so when an unbeliever walks in and they see us stone cold, man, what does that communicate? When we have our notes up and we have our Bibles open, partners, when we are, are crying, we're lifting our hands, we're saying amen, we're shouting, we communicate that what Jesus has done is more important than any football game, any party, any graduation ceremony, because of what Jesus has done for us. And then another way is meeting new people on a Sunday. There's many people who come to this church who don't know anybody. Man, maybe they can meet you. So our, we, we like to just talk to our friend group. What if we didn't do that on a Sunday? What if instead of just attending, we appealed? So I will not let the church be about me. Third thing is this, serve, don't sit. Serve, don't sit. Paul says in verse 18, he says, all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means we all have been reconciled to God. We were once far from God, he brought us near. And the moment we come near is when we start getting others to come near. We ask, invite other peoples to come home. See, the Bible is very, very clear that saved people serve people. And us as partners here at this church, we have covenanted together before God and said we are going to serve in the church together. 
And as we're looking through of all the people who are not currently serving, we have a little over 500 partners here at this church and 220 plus people who are partners here not serving. Man, we can do better than that, church. Together, we can serve. Together, we can make a difference. And maybe you don't need to serve in student ministry or kids' ministry, but maybe you can serve by doing some, some helping with some administrative work from home on your computer. Maybe you could help in our facilities department, help us build stuff and create stuff and keep this place excellent for those in our community. It's not about where you serve. It's that you are called to serve. We are all called to serve. So it comes back to how do we not let the church be about me? How do we, how do we keep this from happening? Simple. We serve. We serve. There's a student ministry that, that I've, I'm always encouraged by and I've learned a lot from. Um, and I started looking, I was bored one day and I started looking up some stuff about the student ministry online uh, and I saw a review and it said, beware of this student ministry. And I was like, okay. So, so somebody wrote on TripAdvisor and I was like, I, I need to read this. I was really interested. And so this person, she, uh, she wrote this review and I wanted to read it to you. It says this, my teenage daughter attended this service's youth service on Wednesday night. She may as well have been attending a convention for druggies. Kids have their troubles, but if you have a good kid, don't send them here. This place is a magnet for boys trying to hook up. The church is doing a good service and trying to help the unchurched, screwed up kids. But again, send your teen here and expect some ramifications if you have an impressionable child. My daughter has met some terrible people here and it has definitely caused our family much turmoil and stress as our impressionable daughter has been influenced by this low life element that has infiltrated this youth service. As I read that, as I read that review, I'll be honest, I get mad. Like that's the first thing. I'm like, what are you thinking? Because I, I think about my student ministry. I'm like, that's a badge of honor for me. I'm like, there's kids who are in sin who want to be at a church on a Wednesday night. What is going on? This is amazing. This, God must be doing a new thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I think about that, though, I'm like, this is the type of church that we want to have where sinners feel welcome to come with people. And I get really, really upset, but I forget a lot of times that many instances I am the person that wrote that review. Because I'm the person who gets selfish. I am the person who only likes to hang with the people who look like me, talk like me, act like me, believe like me. I am the person who gets lazy and doesn't want to talk to the student late at night who struggled with the same sin over and over again. Why do I do this? Because I forget that I was the troubled. I was the terrible. I was the low life, screwed up person before Jesus saved me. And I get comfortable and I get selfish and I get lazy, all about the people who look like me. And I forget that Jesus died so that all could be set free. So I'm deciding this year, I'm making a decision that I will not let this church be about me. And I hope you will too by serving this August. We are about to go into an exciting season in our church. We're gonna go into a season for about the next four, six months or so we're gonna be in here in this building. And people are gonna come. They're gonna come back to church. 
We're going to see people come to know Christ. It's going to be amazing. We're going to then go into our new building. And I want you to imagine for a moment what would happen if all 900 plus adults and students grade sixth grade and above who call this church home would begin to serve. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what would happen. Imagine the first time guest who's probably had a bad church experience. Maybe they're de-churched. They have some wounds. Or maybe they've never even been in a church before. And they come and they find a place to belong. Because before the sermon, before the, any note was ever played, they met you at guest services. Or they met you in the cafe. Or they met you in the parking lot. Imagine the babies who would grow up to love God in Sprout. Because you sat there and as you rocked them, as you changed their diaper, as you tried to get them to stop crying, you prayed for them the whole time. And you thwarted the enemy from their life. Imagine the toddlers in Little Street who would grow up knowing that God loves them. Imagine the kids in, in Kid Street who are worshiping right over there who, who would have a foundation of faith that truly would last a lifetime. Imagine the students who will be in here August 2nd on Wednesday night who would one day say no to the weed, say no to the alcohol, say no to the insecurity, say no to the toxic relationships because they had someone in their life who loved them, who cared for them, who discipled them. Imagine the seniors who would leave high school and they wouldn't leave the church, but they would plant themselves deeply into a local church at whatever campus they are in because they had an adult who cared about what happened after high school and then they would go into ministry. Imagine the people that we would send to London. Imagine the people we'd send to India. Imagine the people that we would send to Washington, D.C. with Pastor Greg. Imagine the people we'd send to other metropolitan cities that we plant churches in. Imagine what we could do if we pushed past our comfort zones, left and got over our selfishness and stopped thinking all about me because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we get the righteousness of God. So you know what? The church can't be about me. Because Jesus died so that every student, every person far from God, every man, woman, and child could be set free. And it would be a shame for people to leave our church, to leave the school that you go to, to leave the campus that you're on, to leave your job that you work, and one day meet their maker without meeting you first because it was all about me. So I am saying, and I hope you will follow as well, that I will not let the church be about me this year. In your seats today, there's a card. And I want everybody to pick up this card. And on that card, there is, there's a couple things here. One, it says, I will continue to serve. And then it has a place for you to check the box, the ministry that you're serving in. And then it has a place for you to write your name and I believe your email. Here it is. It says, you can count on me to continue to serve in, check the box, and write your name and email. On the back, though, it says, 
You can count on me to serve. And this is for people who are not currently serving. Like I said, we have over 220 partners who are not currently serving. Man, now's your time. Jump in. God's not going to bless the church that's all about me. So here's what I want you to do. And if you're watching online today, I want, I want to encourage you to, to go on our website and sign up to serve as well. Some of you may be from out of town. You, 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 you serve in your church. But for those of us who are here today who attend Foothills Church on a weekly basis, I want you to pick up this card. And I'm just going to step back for a moment. And I want you to begin to pray about where God is calling you to serve. Because when, you, when you're saved, you serve. And I'm going to step back for a moment. And I'm going to come and close the service. And, I, and I'm praying, I'm hoping that you would serve this year and step into the amazing things that God wants to do through you this year. So you bow your head, you pray, you spend time with God, and I'll close this in prayer. Some of you may be continuing to write and continue to pray, and, and you, you, you continue to do that. Uh, but I just want to invite everybody to bow their heads with me. Some Many of you today, are, are you're, you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue to serve this year. I'm going to continue to serve this August when everything kind of starts back up. And so here's what I want you to do. After you filled out that card, if you said, yes, I'm going to continue to serve, on the count of three, just as a sign of your commitment, I want to just challenge you to just raise that card up in the air. One, two, three. Just raise it up. Yeah, there's hands everywhere. So many people serving in our church. It's amazing. Set that card down. Thank you. Some of you today, you know that, that, that your next step is to begin serving. And this may be a little hard for you, but, but today's your day to decide that. And you know it. And so just as I did before, as a sign of your commitment, on the count of three, I just want to invite you to raise that card up. One, two, three. If there's anybody who said, yeah, I'm serving this year. I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, just raise it up high. It's amazing. Yeah, you set it down. After I pray, our MC, Pastor Patrick, is going to be coming out. He'll tell you what to do with these cards. Everybody hold on to them. But I really do believe that God's going to use you. Let me pray. Father, we, we love you so much. God, we would hate to make this whole thing about us when it's about you, when it's about the work that you want to do. So, Lord, I pray that as every, these cards are marked in here, Father, I pray that, God, you would begin to just work in each, each one of these ministries. Father, we love you so much. We're expecting for what you want to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.